0: Welcome everyone to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Witcher, and today we have a hot topic episode of the worst special education advice ever. I brought with me five master IEP coaches who are going to share with you some of the most terrible special ed advice they've ever received for themselves or have heard from others. They're also going to tell you what they did about it, the choices that they made, and how you can help distinguish between advice that is good for you or maybe not so good for you. So I have with me, Shelley, Nicole, Carla, Jessica, and Amy and we're gonna get started with Shelley. Shelley, tell us how did you end up at an IEP table and what is the worst advice that you wanna share with us today?
1: Hi, Catherine. thanks for having me on today. So in the 1900s, um, I started out as a teacher's aide and then I became a special education teacher. Um, And so I sat at the table Hundreds and hundreds of meetings, and now I'm a education consultant and master IEP coach. And as a young special education teacher in a new district, I was told it's okay to write making progress, sufficient progress, limited progress, on
0: progress reports. And you know, some people are going to be hearing this right now, and they're going to say, "Well, what's wrong with that?" So we we'll, we'll we're going to come back to you, and you're going to share what is wrong with that because so many of our families are seeing progress reports or teachers are writing progress reports that say making progress, not making progress, sufficient progress. It seems like kind of the norm. So I cannot wait for you to share with us what the resolution is for that type of situation. But we're gonna hop over to Nicole. Uh, Nicole, tell us how did you end up at an IEP table and what's some of the worst special ed advice that you've received? Yeah,
2: so I am a former educator, but the majority of the reason that I ended up on this side of the IEP table is because I have a son with autism, ADHD, and anxiety. Um, And long story short, when I was just coming into my own um, confidence as an IEP parent, um, my son had to change placement. And once he had graduated from that placement, they were telling us that our only choice was to send him back to his home school, which
0: really just didn't make sense for us. All right, so placement, they were telling you where your son had to go and you were like, no. I I know that we have some parents that are nodding their head right now saying yes. And then they said I had no choice and we had to do it and I didn't have the strength at the time for a battle, so we just did what the school said. I'm going to give you guys a little sneak peek of um, Nicole didn't do what the school said. So so she's going to share with you um, how she got around that and what the resolution was. But first, we're going to hop over to Carla. Carla, tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table and what some of the worst special ed advice that you have received?
3: Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Uh, I ended up at the IEP table because I have two sons, one with the 504 plan who is attending a college university and one who is 11 years old that has autism, ADHD and anxiety. Uh, The worst advice I've been given was the school told me that they thought we should move 45 minutes away from where we currently lived because my child just did not belong in their school.
0: So some jobs just dropped on that. They just thought, are you kidding me? That you were told by a school to move 45 minutes away because your family and your children do not belong in that school. So um, Carla, we'll come back around and you can share with us how um, you made a resolution with that situation and what happened when you didn't take their advice. But next we're gonna hop over to Jessica. Um, Jessica, share with us how'd you get to an IEP table and what's the worst special ed
4: advice that you have heard lately? so i started at the IEP table as a special needs parent although i did get to see kind of how that all worked by watching my parents go through the same thing with my brother so i am also a special needs sibling however probably the worst special education advice i've ever heard was actually from a client of mine where we are trialing assistive technology and the school was trying to state that their child had to use the aac device from the school district however The whole family is a military family, so they move quite often every one to two years, and this child struggles with transition. So for him, it's just not feasible to expect him to have to transition every couple of years when he's moving to a new state
0: exactly and AAC is such a tricky topic Um, I can't wait to hear a little bit more about what you're going through in that situation and how you're working towards that resolution because we have so many families and teachers who are struggling with the technology aspect right now just because of everything we've been through and technology has come to the forefront of something that we need to address as a whole whether it's for somebody's voice or for them to access their education so all right before we get to our solutions we've got one more person to talk to uh, Amy's gonna tell us how did she end up at an IEP table and what is the worst special education advice that she has received
5: good morning happy Saturday everyone I'm Amy and I ended up at an IEP table first off in my younger years um, not quite dinosaurish but getting there um, as an instructional assistant kind of moved my way through the school district. Um, in various positions, and from uh, you know, early intervention all the way up to adult transition, and the worst advice I was ever given was to rearrange a life-saving medical treatment um, so that a my child will fit would fit into their cookie cutter um, scheduling system. So, school.
0: what I'm hearing is the school trying to control your medical decisions by saying what placement was gonna be. Um, Okay, again, a little dumbfounded Mm -hmm. that you would hear advice like that, but it happens. So before we go back through and start talking about all the different solutions that are possible or resolutions that all of the master IP coaches came to, um, two things. Number one, if you want to become a master IP coach or want to be connected to one of these master IP coaches, please make sure that you look at the links above or below this video because you'll see how to get connected with all of the master IP coaches or how to become a master IP coach. Number two, please keep in mind that poor advice for one family could be good advice for another family. So we're giving you some pretty extreme situations, but they're real life. We absolutely have experienced these. But keep in mind, I'm gonna give you an example of um, sometimes wait and see can be some of the worst advice that you can be given in special education. Maybe you're uh, worried about a child's progress in academics. Maybe it's about behaviors. Uh, it Maybe it's about an AAC trial. It could be some of the worst advice to say, let's just wait and see and do nothing. Sometimes in the heat of a crisis, wait and see for a short time, 24 or 48 hours, could be one of the best things that we can do to just kind of step away from a crisis and reevaluate what needs to happen. So I want you to have the perspective of what we're gonna be sharing here as resolutions. This is what worked in this situation. These are individualized uh, avenues that the master IP coaches took for themselves or with their clients. What I want you to really dig into is that there's hope And there's possibilities no matter what you hear there's definitely options. So let's go ahead and go back over to Shelly who is a former special education teacher and got that advice to just put kind of a standardized cookie cutter response on progress reports. Shelly how did you um, deal with that and and how did you grow from that?
1: Well to be honest at the beginning I thought okay that's what I'm being told by my director so that's what I needed to do. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I started realizing, well, what is progress? What does that mean? There's six people on this call alone, and plus all the people that are watching and listening, every one of us could have a different definition of what progress looks like. How do I know if your definition and my definition of limited progress is the same? How do I know if sufficient progress is the same? And so I started thinking, well, I need to report exactly what they're doing based on that individual goal that I am reporting for. So saying that the student achieved the the goal being um, three out of four times 80% accuracy. So I would say we've practiced this three times, the the child has done this correctly two times and both times it was at 100% accuracy. There was no question after that what type of progress was being made or not being made. So once I started doing that, the parents were like, wow, thank you, I I really know what my child is doing now. And it was a nice way for me to keep track too in my own reporting of, okay, last semester, last quarter they did this many times, Hmm, this time they dropped or, oh, they went up again. So it it, it was just kind of all on my own. And eventually that special ed director came back and said, yeah, we need to start doing them the way that you've been doing them. And and thank you for bringing that to our attention.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. that's what we teach in the Master I-P to mentorship too is that we have to have data. We you, we throw this word around data all the time, you know. Everything has to be, you know, based on data. No decisions without data. Make sure you get the data, see the data, know what it is, organize the data. All things That's exactly what we're talking about. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be very direct information of what is happening. So I love that piece that you were then looked at as a leader, as a mentor of saying like, yes, this is working. I'm gonna assume that your IEP meetings or uh, discussions in between the IEP meetings went a little smoother once you were all working with the same information and data.
1: Yeah, definitely from the parents' perspective, um, but it was easier too for everyone on the team to say, "Oh, okay, yeah, you know they're they are progressing toward the mastery of this goal because of this, this, and this that's written in their IEP." Um, and yeah, everybody felt more like
0: an equal member of the team then. So important. So very important. All right. If you guys have questions about data collection, progress reports, uh, that is a love of Shelly's. I know Shelly well enough to, that, to know that she loves talking about data and reporting and making sure that everything is being documented in that way. So you'll want to hop over to my and find Shelly or fill out the inquiry form right there and we'll make sure you get connected. All right, Nicole, Tell us what happened after the school said your child had to change schools, but you knew in your mama gut that was not the best decision.
2: So I referred back to the team because we're all equal members of the team. And I said, um, you know, we all discussed how much progress Mason's made this year at school, um, how much more progress that he's made than we expected. We know what he had been through at his last school with lack of progress and regression. So the placement is an IEP team decision. Does anybody else at the table think that it's in Mason's best interest? Does it meet his individual needs to move back to our home school? And everybody sat there silently because they're afraid to speak up against administration. But long story short, we really individualized the plan for Mason. So he stayed technically in the same placement so he could stay at the school he was at but he spent 90% of his day pushed out into general education so he got his general education that he needed but he stayed in a support system that made the most sense
0: for him and and that's so important you know we talk a lot about placement and full continuum of placement We talk about changing placements and we think that it's something big, like we're going from public school to a private therapeutic day school. But placement is simply a description of where a child's going to receive services Mm -hmm. and instruction. And you didn't want the physical building to change. And yes, you needed to adjust those minutes. uh, You needed to adjust how things were going to be delivered, but you don't always have to change the building to make that happen. And it doesn't have to be a cookie cutter place. So I love that you, shared that and um how did your like the next upcoming transition because was this recent or a little bit ago and then didn't you you said he was only going to go there for like one more year and then he was going to transition how can you just yeah. share a little bit about that placement piece yeah so mason when we initially changed placement from his
2: home school he was in the middle of third grade um, we expected him to stay there for two years so until fifth grade and then he would transition to middle school Um, at, you know, his home school, middle school, but it's a different building. Um, And, you know, he really was doing great in that placement and, you know, had learned so many skills that he wasn't able to learn in his previous placement. So we were in fifth grade, um, we're going into fifth grade, and that's only one year. And for a kid that struggles with change and he needs to feel safe at school And he needs to feel safe and connected in order to make progress and learn and access his education. It didn't make sense to change him for one year and then change him again to a whole new team. That's too many changes for him. Um, And
0: again, it, it didn't meet his individual needs, his unique needs. So it's so important because we have a lot of changes obviously over this past year and then we have students that are going to be coming back to school uh, whether it's hybrid or full-time and and placement's going to be a huge issue not just to finish up the rest of this school year but going into the next school year and there's going to be a lot of students like what you're describing of like well it's one more year and they want to switch my child over here for the one year and then over there for another year and then that's only for two years and it's just going to be a little messy. So I okay it's going to be a lot messy. But I want everybody to hear what Nicole's saying of you know we can individualize that decision with the team of of what's in the best interest of the child versus what maybe a standard decision would be. So if you have questions about those type of transitions and making sure the child feels connected to their school and they're getting that right placement for them, make sure you guys are reaching out to Nicole at myiepcoach.com. Carla, tell us what happened after you heard from the school that you you should move 45 minutes away because your family, your children didn't belong there.
3: Oh, uh, yes. So actually what I did was I researched the uh, surrounding schools in my area, because what that told me was the school was not willing to work with the IEP that we had already drafted. And I had sat down with the teachers and the principal and gone over it multiple times. And this was probably in October. We know no school starts in August, and they had been fighting me that whole time on our IEP. So instead of moving 45 minutes away, away from family and support and everything my children knew, I was able to find a school locally that had in school services. So they were able to support my son um, fully with uh, everything he needed. They had ABA services there, they had OT, everything was in house and he was in general ed- uh, education. So. Uh, She's been thriving since we moved there.
0: I love that. It reminds me of what we say in uh, that a special needs mom does like better research than the FBI, right? Of like just investigating and looking and what's around and you had to go find what was available. So a lot of times people They just take everything at face value of we've got a program at school A, we've got a program at school B, choose one. Or we're going to choose for you and this is why. And it's important for you to know that there is no... um, standard menu of services that you can create them like Nicole did, you can find them like Carla did. It's not something that is published on a district website. And if it is, I can guarantee that it's inaccurate because they can't keep up to date with everything that they're doing in the district. So, um, and Shelly's nodding her head for those of you that are listening and, and not seeing this. We know as teachers, I'm a former special education teacher myself. And, you know, I didn't even know all the programs that we had because I worked for a co-op, which was a collaboration of a bunch of districts. And I didn't know you can say, oh my gosh, you're a teacher in the program. How, How did you not know? Well, because it was ever-changing every every year of what was happening. I didn't always know all the resources that were available. That was my boss's job. That was the admin's job to know everything that was going on. It wasn't my job as the teacher to go investigating of what was going on. Quite honestly, it's the parent and the admin working together at that collaborative level to find all of the resources that can be pulled together. So I love that. All right, Jessica. Let's talk a little bit about this AAC. And it's a bizarre situation, really, where the school is saying, you have to use our tools because, just because, and and we're not going to adapt to what your child truly needs to be prepared for the future. So where are you at in that process?
4: So right now, we're just waiting for a response. Um, I recently wrote an advocacy letter on behalf of the parents. And essentially, our stand was, know we need to meet the unique needs of their child and in addition to that an AAC device is actually a durable medical device as well so we also stated that we didn't feel that it was the school's right to be so intrusive and dictate what kind of medical device the child should be using so um, we requested to see the policy that states that they are mandated to use the school's device and they have not given us one quite yet. So I'm hoping by the end of this upcoming week that we'll have a solution and we can continue on with the AT trial. I, I just want to say that Jessica is being very,
0: um, um, I'm going to say kind of low key of, I'm hoping by the end of this week we'll have, let me just share with you, Jessica will have an answer by the end of the week. She will make sure that she has an answer by the end of the week for her client of what we're doing because that's her client's voice. That's the mm-hmm. way to access his education. So she's saying that very kindly, and that's our that's our gig as master IP coaches. We are collaborative, we are proactive, um, but we're also helping parents lead the decision making. So if things are taking too long for you. As in, well, we're in that wait and see kind of cycle, or we're in that cycle of one IEP meeting that just leads to another IEP di- IEP meeting, which leads to another. Then, yeah, you need to get a hold of a master IEP coach because things can move faster than what you think. Um, on that note, Amy, uh, share with us what happened after the school tried to tell you your child could not go to her homeschool placement due to her medical needs.
5: First of all, she transitioned from eighth grade into freshman year. They were aware that she was seeking life-saving medical attention three days a week and was out. The eighth grade, junior high, teamwork, great, go into freshman year, and I informed them that she's going to be missing a bit of school. And they basically came back and said, we needed to either change her medical treatment to fit the school schedule, or we needed to go to a different school.
0: It's so interesting that there's been a lot of, let's see, what this is like the third story that we have here of the school saying, go someplace else. Like, do what we want you to do or go someplace else. And I want to make it clear that, again, being a former teacher, Shelly being a teacher, like, we could tell you this is not a teacher's decision. This was not the teacher telling you this. This is the higher ups that um, quite honestly are in old habits. I call them old school habits, old school habits versus new school habits. They're in old school habits of just being like, no, we don't do that here. And we can get around that. We absolutely can. Case by case, we can get around that. So um, your daughter, I'm assuming, right? So she starts high school. She made that transition from eighth grade to high school. How is she doing now?
5: Shelly, she's great. We got some help. She goes in one period during this influx, during COVID, during the week. Um, I stated what we needed and she has had less exposure and she's on the path to being healthy due to us saying, no, 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 no. We, this is her homeschool. This is her friends. We can make this work. Let's think outside of the box.
0: I love that. Um, and again, for those of you that are listening and not watching us live, we do have a comment from somebody named Rachel who says, "This is normal." Um, I have a director of special education, you know, certificate is uh, or endorsement um, type thing. So uh, it, it's always interesting to see who is commenting and, and reinforcing because what Rachel's saying, like this, is a normal conversation. And here's the thing whether we're talking about Nicole's situation or Carla's or Amy's when it comes to placement and saying your child doesn't belong here, we don't have the resources, you need to switch that. I'm never going to say that a team is doing that out of malicious intent, that they're doing it to be mean to the family. I'm not even going to hop on the train where people say they're doing this because they don't wanna do the work. It's not even necessarily that they don't wanna do the work, it's that that's not standard procedure. Your request didn't fit what was already happening. So it's almost like a defense. Nope, sorry, we don't do that here. Maybe somebody else will. Go over there. <laughs> we don't know. But when you open up the conversation collaboratively, you can get past that no. Just don't get furious at the no at first. Just You can just got to think about it. And you got to get around that no. I love that. All right. So we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this conversation because I know that we could probably go around the table here about 10 more times and share a lot of um, other stories. And I would love, I I do this to everybody who shows up. So let's go ahead and um, just let me give you a question on the spot, all right? I want you to, Uh, for our master IP coaches here to please give a word of encouragement to our parents and teachers who especially are getting ready to go back into the classroom in some way for the first time in a long time, or they're anxious because they're not going back into the classroom, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of overwhelm, there's a lot of anger that's happening right now. Um, We don't have to go in order. If you guys have something that you would love to give, a word of encouragement to parents and teachers, that's something that I would love to give them. Does somebody have something they wanna share? Shelly does, go ahead, Shelly.
1: As a former teacher, first of all, you guys are doing amazing as teachers. This has been the most incredible unstructured year for all of you. So first of all, I just want to commend all the teachers that are watching. Um, Secondly, for the parents, I also commend you because you haven't faced this kind of a situation before. Most parents are not teachers, and yet you have been thrown under that role this practically whole year. And again, you are doing a wonderful job. Your kids are progressing. Nobody is, is learning at the same rate that they were two years ago. Um, it's happening all across the country. So keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job, and just be clear as you can possibly be with what you are saying to each other. Take the emotions out and stick to the facts.
0: I love that. Does anybody else want to add to that? Carla sure, has have
2: something.
0: Oh, oh, Carla. We'll go Carla and then Nicole and then then we have um, Jessica. Everybody's ready to encourage each other. I love this and we'll have Amy. All right, go ahead, Carla. Uh,
3: my word of encouragement is trust. Just trust yourself. Uh, is, if you trust yourself, you'll learn to trust your environment, and decisions will come. No one knows your child like you do.
0: I love that so much, Nicole. So much for us.
2: Yeah, I was going to say um, just to be flexible but firm when you go back to school. Um, There's going to be a transition period for teachers and parents and students, um, and we should be flexible and give each other grace, but we should also be firm on you know following through and holding people accountable for what our children need and not what the district thinks they need.
0: I love that so much, flexible and firm. It's like I want to just take notes for everybody right now, make sure everybody who's listening gets this down because these are so
4: important. Jessica, what would you like to share? I would say as a special needs teacher, parent, or provider, because right now I'm kind of wearing all three hats, just don't overwhelm yourself. Look at the next step, and that's it. Don't keep, you know, what if, what if yourself? Because in all honesty, there's so many different things that we don't have control over as a parent, as a teacher, as a provider, that if you do that, you're going to burn yourself out. So just look at your next step. Do it to the best of your ability whatever hat you're wearing. And then when you get there, focus on the next one. Don't overwhelm yourself.
0: I love that because nobody has this all figured out. Nobody's got a blueprint for how this is going to work. It is. It's one step at a time. Amy, what do you have for us?
5: I would say be compassionate. Look at each other as humans, the students, the teachers. We need to be compassionate. We're all coming at this from different viewpoints, different stress levels. And we all need to look at the student and figure out what's best for them and the families, you know, and placement. And, but be compassionate. Absolutely. We are.
0: We're all going to make errors going forward. We're not going to make the perfect decisions. Uh, but one thing that's really important is to not make decisions on your own, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, you've got decision fatigue, you've got like the what ifs overwhelming you, you have all these things that are happening. We have an entire community of Master IP Coaches that you can become a part of. So hop over to masteriepcoach.com, you'll get a free IEP training and you'll learn the first step to become a Master IP Coach because I'm gonna tell you, We are one of the most supportive communities I've ever seen in the special education world. You're going to get a different perspective from all around the IEP table. And it's a place where you're never going to have to make decisions by yourself again. So come on over to masteriepcoach.com. Thank you everybody for being here today. And we'll chat with you next time.